Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, multiple Olympic medalist Max Whitlock looks ahead to the Olympics next summer in Japan. Ross Kemp chats his new TV series Living With, and Lee Mack discusses horrible histories the movie Rotten Romans. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. We definitely wouldn't be lying to you by describing this man as one of the nation's most loved comedians, as well as a surprisingly decent darts player. He's not going out. He's coming in right now to tell us about the new Horrible Histories movie. It's the magnificent Lee Mack. Morning, Lee. Good morning. Every time I hear Vassos's voice, I always re- I'm reminded of the most glorious thing in my life, which Go. was the Celebrity Darts, BBC Two, and he was the commentator. So when I hear his voice in my head, I'm a champion. <laughs> How do you fit it all in? Because I was going to start by congratulating you on your soccer aid appearance again, which I oh, thought was amazing. It was a disaster, but I loved it. It wasn't a disaster. I missed two open nets and my second penalty in two years. It doesn't matter. The point is... At the say it doesn't matter. That's not the, that's not the attitude of the team at the, on the night. At the age of... <laughs> At the age of 51, you yeah. got on the pitch. I'm not 51 for another week, Chris Evans. All right, so, okay, please. Okay. In your 51st year. Thank you. I'm trying to pay you compliment. Yes, here. thank you. Okay, well, you, I did. I thought you were brilliant. I mean, I know you 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 missed two sitters, but the fact is you got you got on the pitch. And you, who else was on the pitch? Well, Usain Bolt was on the pitch. Usain Bolt was on the pitch, and do you know what? Surprisingly, I, I didn't get close to him. Right. And he, he uh, that my favourite moment was um, as I walked past Eric Cantona. Yeah. I said, I'm Eric too old for this. And he's not got the best uh, grasp of English language, uh, um, Eric. And I said, I'm too old for this. And he said, it's quite disgruntled, yes, I know I am. <laughs> and, I went, and I went, no, no, no. And he sort of ran off. And I sort of ran after him going, no, no, I meant me, not you. <laughs> right, no, I thought, because I, I, re- I love soccer. It's one of my favourite things. I think uh. it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's, it's solid gold. It's, it's stellar. All the stars line up for it, literally, you know, uh, and it's it, fantastic from beginning to end. Now, here's, here was my observation. Yeah. Of, of more, one of them, one of many. Did Usain Bolt have a bit of a belly? I think he did. A bit of a belly? Yeah. Wow, if he's got a bit of a belly, I've I had it. He, I think, honestly, I think he had a bit of a belly. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's not for me to say, but he has, uh, he's not run for a while, has he? No. And he did tell me that he doesn't, he never bothered with the diet and stuff. Really? He was, well, he famously ate chicken nuggets yeah, before chicken he nuggets. got the world record. He had a little something. bit of a belly, he had his shirt on, took together. Yeah, it's, and I'll tell you what, that Mo Farah was looking a bit. Yeah. Big, wasn't he? <laughs> you know what I mean? A massive. I've got to tell you, because Mo was, Mo was all set on just getting the ball off Usain. All yeah, right, so, yeah. so, and they, they went, they clashed at one point, and I thought, this is. This is terrible. No, you can't. They because they were not holding back at all. Those two. Yeah. Obviously, they're great mates. Well, the thing is about Mo as well is that I was foolish enough to think, oh, I'll be all right because Mo's a middle distance runner, so he's not that fast. And then <laughs> I realised because I tried it on a treadmill to 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 to, to, to do his, his his timing in the in the marathon. For I set the treadmill for what I would have to do, yeah, and yeah. I couldn't stay on the treadmill. It's unbelievable. It's like faster than I can it's sprint ridiculous. for two, two hours. All right, so you're here to talk about uh, many things as always, but specifically horrible histories, the movies. So when I say how do you fit it all in there's the darts there's yeah. there's your own sitcom there's would I lie to you and now you're making a, a, a blim you've made a movie right yeah. how do you fit it all in how do you do all this well uh, I don't know is and you've it, gone you've question. gone half deaf as well I've gone yeah I went deaf yesterday in the heat I don't know how that's possible but I woke up this morning deaf in one ear so here's what he did everyone he googled what to don't do tell, people people <laughs> might try this now at home. do not try this at home in fact we're not we're not, we're not even going to say what you did because it's so well, silly all I will say is I it's tried so my own home remedy to, to get rid of deafness in Right. Okay. And then I realised after I'd done it, that could have been written by a seven-year-old. Yeah, and also you need to have diagnosed what's wrong with you before you try and fix it. I know, I know. I mean, it sounded a bit odd that, you, you know, know, the idea of, uh, of what, what it was suggesting was silly. I shouldn't yeah. have done it. You, you could you could be trying to 
tighten your fan belt when there's there's dirt in your tank. Is that a euphemism, Chris? If you like. Uh, so, Horrible History is the movie. Right? Yes. So, can I just say it's doing very, very, very amazingly well? Well, it's only out today. Oh, right. Nobody's okay. actually been to see it. Yet. No, but it landed at midnight, <laughs> or is that the only with music? I don't know how these things work. So, you play in it. You've got a great title, haven't you? Yes. You've got a great character. Um, okay, so, so Lee's character is Senator Decimus. De- Decimus Maximus. Yeah. Oh, right. I didn't know I was a senator. Doesn't, doesn't say Decimus Maximus. I didn't know I was a senator. Okay, oh, you're, that's news you're to me. Senator Decimus. Okay. Right. So what what happens in the movie? Well, it's all about uh, the Romans and, and and the fact that the... The uh, rotten Bo- Romans. The Roman and, and Bodicea, who I'm not allowed to say Bodicea anymore, I'm, I've got to say Boudicca, but mm. I'm from the old school. I like to say Bodicea. Why did we change our name after all these years like in the Kim 1980s? Kim Basinger and Kim Basinger, I've no idea. I, know. I don't so, know. I don't know. Istanbul or Constantinople. Yes. Well, it's it's just full anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's against you at the back. <laughs> You're trying to figure one out, Ricky. Desperate. It's desperate, desperate. <laughs> Wait, is it Kaiser Chiefs or the Kaiser Chiefs? Kaiser Chiefs. Kaiser Chiefs, of course. It's, he would know. He's in the band. Yes. He well, is a Kaiser Chief. He's the chief of the Kaisers. No. That's a, isn't that a South African football team? Isn't it? Anyway, yeah. come on. Oh, sorry. Film, film, uh, film. So yes. So uh, what was the question? What was the best bit of the movie for you? Your best bit? My best bit was probably singing. Well, I had to go into a studio, record a bit of a rap. Easy. And then mime to this Easy. rap. And as someone who can't sing at all, uh-huh. and I've got no, no rhythm at all, mm-hmm. I, I was quite proud of the fact that I just felt like I could make it in the music business. See, people like you. People like you. They like to give you jobs. They like Liam Act to be in what they're doing. Uh, what else should we talk about, uh, Lee? So we've done your deafness. We've done my deafness. We've done my film. Yeah. Uh, what else have we done? We've done... What uh, else are you up to? I'm, I've got a new sitcom that I'm doing in the autumn called Is it any good? Is it any good? We've done the pilot. It's already been on television and it was, uh, it was, I was very, very pleased with How it. How did it go down? Well, you know, I, it landed at midnight and by 8 a.m. in the morning it had done very, very, very amazingly, so that's all I know. Okay, good. But no, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know about this. All I know is that oh, I didn't have to on. write it. Uh, listen to this, Ricky. Yeah, well, He's also got a tour that's completely sold out. So have we. <laughs> hey, look, come on. Yeah, but you're a rock and roll band. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. Well, no. Yeah. He's, he's just an idiot for rock and roll. <laughs> okay, beat this, beat this, Lee. Yeah. Okay, Kaiser Chiefs, yeah. uh, two and a half weeks ago, played with who were? The who? At? Wembley. Stadium. Boom. Right. Do that tomorrow. My next tour, The Who are supporting me. (laughs) (laughs) The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q, Virgin Radio. It's estimated that 7,000 Brits slept rough last year. One man has taken to the streets to immerse himself in some of the biggest issues affecting Britain today. This BAFTA-winning documentary maker's new series, (laughs) Ross Kemp Living With. Please welcome the legendary... Ross Kemp. You are. You are. Oh, thank you very you much. You are a legend now. Where, where's your BAFTA? Where'd you keep it? Uh, it is actually on the mantelpiece at home with some other things, yeah. You yeah. have a mantelpiece? I a love mantelpiece. that. In the living yeah. room? Yeah. So there yeah, it is. It's oh, good a, for you. Yeah. What it's else? a constant what? reminder that I've only ever won one. Yeah, but you've won one. I mean, the BAFTA's a big deal, isn't it? Well, what else is on the, on the mantelpiece that you oh, can tell us we about? We recently, for the film we made in Libya, we got foreign press journalists film of the year. Uh, that was recent, and what else? Oh, I got some American award, but all the soap awards, funnily enough, are up in the office where Louise, you know Louise, yeah, Davis, of course I do, yeah, who's listening in? Um, Morning, Lou. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're up in her office. So I've got like soap sexiest man to no, I think it's like <laughs> 1993. 
<laughs> it's a wooden. It's got a wooden plinth, right? and I think it's actually a plastic top. I, I forgot you could do that voice. That's very good. That I can still do that voice. You can still do that voice. So we've got the first of four shows. Um, well done, ITV, for commissioning these. Yeah, uh, you're covering uh, homelessness, knife crime, young carers, and gambling addictions. All right. So homelessness, homelessness first on a very, very cold night in Cardiff. Yeah, coldest night for seven years, coincidentally, and it was a whiteout. We spent the night with Jamo and Connor, and the interesting thing about it for me is they would rather sleep rough than go to they could have gone to the Huggard Centre and they could have slept on the floor in emergency kind of housing and emergency shelter they choose not to not because the Huggard isn't a great place and the people that run it aren't great it's because they get bullied and they get robbed there by really? other people yeah, so they're preferring, and there's a, a growing a number of people who are choosing to sleep rough than go go and find shelter because they feel safer on the streets. Even though three people every day get attacked, uh, rough sleepers get attacked in the UK every day. So How one night for you, today? yeah, one night, one night there, and then one night in the, in the actual in the in, in the huggard in the shelter. All right, so you, you had some sense of what it's like, what emotionally uh, and and physically what it's like for a night. Yeah. Uh, you're you know you're tougher than the rest of us in this room put together. <laughs> but so. you you struggled, didn't you? Yeah, I, I found it I found it difficult, particularly um, the huggers full of really decent people, but they can't be expected to be social workers, um, drug rehabilitation people uh, they can't be nurses they can't be mental health doctors the, the need is so great at the moment and the reason for making these Chris is simply I think over the last three years and as we've seen very recently you know um, Brexit's dominated everything and, and we've taken our eye off the ball what was ha- well we were waiting and discussing our future our future was happening and it isn't pretty and and if you want to want to see what's been happening please watch these four shows it's like you know what's been stuffed under the carpet we've put a little mag light on and, and we're, we're looking at it and it and it isn't pretty all right knife crime <laughs> 285 people stabbed to death last year. That's the highest number of people that have ever been stabbed since we started recording uh, the number of people killed with knives uh, in 1946. So another frightening statistic, 10 to 19-year-olds, three of them present themselves in A&E every day with knife wounds. Um, The murder rate for 18-year-olds has gone up by 75% in the last two years. In the last two years. Right, so... um Different subjects now. Young carers. Yeah. Okay. Young. When you get into the world of young carers, it is such, such a despondent, such a such a a, a dark and lonely place for these people to be, uh, and they have almost life sentences foisted upon them of care of having to care the responsibility and duty of care. They're doing it because they love their family, you know, and that's why uh, that's the one where I absolutely cracked. I did. I went. Um, you know, the average age of young care in the UK is 12 years old, but some are as young as four, right? You've got kids. I've got a four-year-old. I can't see my four-year-old looking after me. My job is to look after him. Um, we've got Ali in the film who's five years old and he's helping to look after his sister. At one moment, we went out with Child Action Northwest and we picked up Ali, five, another young carer, a girl who was six, another one who was nine, giving them some respite. And you have to ask in 2019... How is that allowed to happen? What is going on? What's going on, man? Right, so, so when you when I know you, it's a laugh a minute with Ross Kemp, isn't it? No, but it's really <laughs> interesting. No, it's really interesting, Ross. You know, and it, it's it's so important because we are for, for many of us overcomforted, overconvenient. We talk about this a lot on the show so, for really no reason whatsoever, and in fact, ultimately towards our detriment because we we're, we're being more sort of incubated from real life itself. I, and- I think you know, I have to say, in my fifty-five years, which was last Sunday, sadly, um, you know, I think. An 
the last 15 years, we've come, you know, with all the kind of me, selfies, send, 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 send me, I always look great, I always feel good. I think we should start being a bit more honest with ourselves and start listening to other people and, and, and being concerned about them and being a little less self-centred. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I used to I walk out of Holborn Tube Station, walk straight down the Kingsway with my, my eye on my phone, realising I'm now late for my meeting. And I just suddenly started seeing more and more people sleeping in bags. And I went, how can... Yeah, how can the homeless minister say, the rough sleeping minister as well, say there are less people sleeping rough? It's because they've changed the way they count them. Yeah. They do a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. One night, they go send someone out to count them. And if they don't see any, it's a zero count. That's not right. Uh, Ross Kemp living with episode one of four tonight, half past seven on ITV. Why would you not watch this programme? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q. The best entertainment all in one place. Easy on Virgin Radio. One year's time. Yes. We're all going to meet up in Tokyo. It's Tokyo 2020. Nobody better to begin to get us excited about the Olympic Games than Britain's best ever gymnast he is a five-time olympic medalist he's a double olympic champion Woo! he is the magnificent max whitlock Morning, Maxie. thank you very welcome, much welcome welcome um, now max since we last spoke um i don't think we've spoken since you became uh, a father for the first time oh, the birth of little willow so <laughs> you're raise a, da- raise a glass to that one you're max. a daddy max yes i am it's the best feeling in the world i mean me, me and leah feel like the luckiest people alive to have willow in our lives now so um yeah it's been brilliant. How old is she now? She's nearly six months old. And when I remember when Andy Murray had his, he became a dad for the first time. He said yeah. like everything, everything changes really, uh-huh. and and sport becomes well just as important, but not like the number one priority. And actually, he said it made him a better tennis player and a better man. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. And before you know, Willow was born, I looked at stories like that of, of like top athletes saying things like that. And um, yeah, now Willow is what it does. Hundred percent put everything into perspective. You, you can't get it, can you? Until you have a child, you just no. don't get it until you have no, a child. No, you really don't. And I think. Um, I think I've, I've always liked to look at myself beforehand as quite a chilled person. I've always said that I compete best the more chilled I am. And I think Willow's actually chilled me out even more. Oh, so. my goodness. Me, I remember, watch I, out everybody yeah. else. I remember watching that. So I remember watching you in Rio because the I was, I'd was i been commentating on diving and the gymnastics hall was just next door yeah. on the way back to the, the big broadcast centre. And I thought... Do you know, if I've timed this perfectly. We had these lovely passes getting anywhere. And I watched you win gold on the floor. Nice. And I was so nervous for you. Yeah. But you looked so calm and controlled and measured and, right. and masterful. And I just, what's it like when all your training comes together like that and you perform perfectly at the perfect time? It's a feeling that is so hard to describe. Like, it's it's crazy. It's unreal. Like, I've been training since I was seven years old. I'm 26 now, so a very long time. And when you hit it, you know, especially at Olympic Games, like, we are talking, like, it's only one year to go to Tokyo, which is just madness. Um, but that experience of hitting it right in Rio was unbelievable. Like, it's, it's indescribable how to feel, really. We were talking about Rachel's Instagram followers. Yep. 15,000 and counting, Rachel. 15,100. You nice. love a bit of Insta, don't you? I do. Yeah. How, many, how many followers have you got? And what sort of things do you post on your Instagram? Um, I post a lot about what it's like to be a gymnast. That's what I want to do. I, I think a lot of what I'm doing, and I feel like it's a role that I really, really enjoy, is and what we've kept up from London 2012 is sort of inspiring the next generation. So I want to sort of show young gymnasts what it's like to be a gymnast or people that aren't involved in gymnastics what it's like you know the ups the downs the, the competitions the you did a bit of there was a bit of fun i remember on your instagram was it last year what were you doing 
I'm not sure. You're, what do, you're, the thing is, when you're a gymnast, <laughs> yeah. you can. You, if you want to outcool anyone, you've just always got that up, up your sleeve. <laughs> when David Blaine came in and he was just like wowing us all with his magic tricks. If you're a gymnast, you can do that, but physically, you know, you you could walk in your hands if you wanted to. Now you could yeah. do a, just a somersault. You could, you know, you've got cool up your sleeve, <laughs> and and you and then that translates to your. I can't remember. It was what something. Was it? Come on, I'm trying to remember. I'm not, I'm not sure which one, but I like to do a lot of gym everywhere. I like to take it sort of outside the gymnastics place and into the sort of the real world. And, and do you see do it without telling do. the people around? Um, so, so you can see the expressions on the face. <laughs> no, I should do that. That'd be, that'd be hilarious. Well, like you know, um, the um, the, the the crosswalk, the musical. Yeah, you could do like cartwheeling across the crosswalk, or do your floor routine <laughs> as you cross the road in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> I mean, that'd be quite difficult. <laughs> Worth a shot, maybe. Yeah. How long have you been doing gymnastics for now? Since um, you were nineteen years. Nineteen years. So has it begun to hurt yet? I mean, yeah, you do you do feel it as you're getting older, and I've got I'm, I'm, good, the, old, I'm the oldest I'm the oldest guy on the team now. How old are you? I'm 26. Oh codger. Yeah. <laughs> so which which, which uh, this is embarrassing. Which bit is beginning to hurt at 26? I think I think you've just got. I'm learning that you've got to take more care of sort of your your ankles, your wrists, your, your kind of joints that you use a lot in gymnastics. I mean, you use everything in gymnastics. And do you ache what, at all in the morning? And uh, not in the morning. Unless I've done a massively heavy session, right. I mean, I but I stretch out after. I think I do, I do everything I can. Like I ice, I recover as much as I can to make it. Dude, it's Max Whitlock. He's not, <laughs> not going to wake up in the morning. Oh, oh, he gets out of bed. He might do. I'm sure I will in a couple of years, yeah. a bit more. But when you sit down, you go, oh, that's better. Just looking for some empathy from the guy. That's all. It's not a crime. <laughs> No, I do. I do hurt sometimes. Like my muscles do. He hurt. does hurt sometimes. <laughs> After he's lifted like, his own body weight <laughs> with his fingernail. <laughs> well, Max, brilliant. So, so yep. you have you have a schedule between now and Tokyo, I would imagine. Yep, yep. So I've got the World Championships coming up. So trials are taking place very soon. So like we're sort of in a really intense period now in training, um, which is when my muscles are hurting a little bit. See. <laughs> um, so the World Championships is the main qualification process. And then we've got European Championships at the beginning of the year next year, and then it's all about Tokyo. Like it's it's coming round, and it's yeah, it's going to come round quick. I mean, every year seems to fly by quicker than the last. So it's yeah, we need to get prepared. Your ace, thank you, <laughs> you very much. For thank you very here. much. Just, come on, round of applause for these. I you appreciate are, that. Thank you, you. We have these on tape, okay? But for <laughs> properly good guests, we have actually, no, actually rounds yeah. of applause. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q, Virgin Radio. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Steve Backshaw chats travelling the world in his new TV show. Lucy Ditchmont and Don Hale discuss their true crime podcast series, Murder in the Graveyard. We follow the journey of French hoverboard Superman Frankie Zapata as he attempts to cross the channel. And the manager of Royal Portrush, Wilma Erskine, joins us to talk about the success of hosting the PGA Open Championship. All that and more, but first, Vassos, who's next? He's the real-life action man who went from 
writing travel guides to teaching us about the world's deadliest creatures. Back adventuring unexplored parts of the world and documenting every second in his new book and TV show. It's Superman himself, Steve Backshaw. Good morning, Stephen. That is the greatest intro well, I've ever had. We're pretty good at intros here. Hopefully we'll get other things too. Um, so the TV show is on 8pm at, at, on at 8 p.m. on Dave this Sunday. Uh, so how many how many shows? There's ten of them. Ten shows to go with the ten uh, adventures in the book. Cool. That's right. That it has a nice sense. symmetry to it. So a super diary, an extreme diary. Um... Vast in his introduction there, he says you went from a, becoming a, being a travel reporter to being an adventurer. What what happened? What was the tipping point there? What changed? So uh, I started off working uh, for the Rough Guides, writing uh, travel guidebooks to far-flung parts of the, the planet, and essentially not making any money. Uh, I had to go back to living with my parents. Having and a great time. In a bar. It was great, yeah, yeah but, but it didn't make any money. And, and then I had an idea for a television series. Mm. Uh, got myself a video camera. Yep. I went out to Colombia, which was the, the wildest, most windswept place I could think of at the time, and essentially made a program of myself surviving in the jungle. And I sold it to National Geographic. And that was in 1998. And I've been doing this ever since. So how did you learn to survive in a jungle when you were a guy travel writer beforehand um, I guess I'd always been into particularly natural history that's always been my thing has always been wildlife so I, I guess I just made up as I went along I, I, <laughs> <laughs> and, and most of the time I have to say you know I've, I've learned most from my mistakes from the stuff that can tell us about some me. mistakes come on uh, uh, give us your top three bites I, my top three bites yeah uh, number one is the tarantula hawk wasp which is like someone smashing a red hot nail into your finger uh, number two would be the bullet attack which are called bullet ants because each sting is supposed to feel like being shot. Uh, and number three would be uh, stepping on a, an adder right here in this country, which for irony alone has to be on the list. Was that just on a walk? I was just some, walking the dog, yeah. Really? You've got to be careful of those adders because they, they can be quite deadly, can't they? It, it was it was pretty sore. I mean, to begin with, I looked down and I was like, this is the most amazing thing. I've been bitten by an adder. This is so cool. I can't wait to tell everyone. And I went, oh, it actually really hurts. I, I'm presuming on the lower leg. It was, it was on my ankle. Did it swell up very quickly? It, my leg went quite black right. afterwards. It looked a little bit like I'd been spray painted. But the worst thing was that I went to my local hospital and um, I, I went in and I explained what happened to me. And the, the, the nurse did a massive double take and went, aren't you that guy <laughs> off the telly? Aren't you the extreme survivor? Yeah, I, I think they thought that I'd probably been bitten by a king cobra or something in, in Surrey. Luckily, it was just an adder. So 10 adventures in a year. Yes. Okay, uh, give us give us again, give us a top three. It's It's been the biggest year of my life by Mars. I mean, I would usually do one expedition like this in a year. Right. We've done 10 back to back. I, I think probably the, the top three would be a first whitewater descent of uh, a river in the Himalayas in Bhutan. Um, then it would be exploring a river that doesn't even exist in Suriname in uh, in South America it doesn't it's not even on any maps doesn't have a name uh, we found it through satellite imagery and spent best part of uh, five weeks That's exciting isn't it really really exciting and then number three would have to be at the end of one of these rivers in the jungle we knew from looking at our GPS we had about 100 meters of altitude to lose no idea how it was going to happen came around a corner there's a massive great waterfall in front of us which again not found on any maps, no evidence of anyone ever having seen it before. And my little team just wandered out of the rainforest to this whacking great big waterfall. So when you go to a river that's not, is it not, is it not been named? It must have been discovered. No, no, absolutely not. So you've, you've discovered a river? Yeah. So how does that feel? 
I thought it's days awesome. over. I thought everything's been. Dis- thought every mountain's been discovered. Everything's been charted. There's no uncharted territory anymore. No, well, I mean, o- over the course of the, the the year, we climbed two mountains that have no names that we had the opportunity to name ourselves. What have you named them? Well, uh, the one of them I can't even pronounce because I, I actually named it. It was very close to the birth of my first child, yes. and so I asked the local uh, elders in the uh, in Greenland where we were if I could name it after firstborn son, and they said yes, absolutely, and, and they told me what the local name for it was, and I still can't pronounce it. But I'll just call it Firstborn Son for now. Right. Okay. Now, Steve, um, now you you live on a river, don't you? I won't say which one. Not so far away from where you were, actually. Okay. I know, I know, I know. Because I pass your gaff all the time. No. Yeah, and I've I've seen it being built over the last year or so. Um, Can I tell the story about your boat? Absolutely, yeah. Steve has. When, When Steve was building his house, which is beautiful, right? You you lived on a boat at the end of your soon-to-be garden, didn't you? And the boat is... I think it might be the most beautiful boat I've ever seen. Shut up. Seriously? Seriously. And what they did was, just to give themselves some sense of what, you know, how their life was going to be, they built the boat in the style of the house they were building. And now you have this boat that perfectly matches your house, don't you? We do, although, you know, we need to get rid of the boat. We can't afford to keep that as well. No, I know. I heard it's for sale, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is. Do you want to buy Steve's boat? See, this this boat. Can we sell it online now? That that would be amazing. Do you want to sell your book or do you want to sell your boat? (laughs) Let's do both together. Let's do both together. Buy buy a book, you get a free boat. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q. The best entertainment all in one place easy on virgin radio now we're going to cross live to one of our sky news pals okay who is currently near calais uh, where inventor frankie zapata from marseille and france is attempting to cross the english channel on a hoverboard and it was scheduled to he was scheduled to launch at about half past nine but that's now been brought forward to the next few minutes and skies ender brady is there good morning ender bonjour chris good morning Bonjour. I particularly enjoyed your report from yesterday at uh, 4.15 this morning. It really brightened my morning. Thank you very much for that. It was very good. Pleasure. He's here in front of me, the man himself, Frankie Zapata. Big day ahead. And I have to say, he, he looked a bit nervous when he arrived. I saw him yesterday. He did a practice run. Very, very confident. But, like, the technology is it's back to the future, brought to life. It really, really is. So what is the current state of play? So they've built a platform on the back of a lorry, which is 10 feet away from me. There are hundreds of people here. We're on a beach called Songat, which is four miles outside of Calais. And they have a metal platform, which you'll see on TV. We're going to bring it in live, hopefully. We've got a good signal here now. Frankie is walking up and down the sand dunes. He's on his mobile phone. Uh, His wife is a key part of his team. And they've, they've walked the beach. They've found the location. They've parked up the lorry. So basically what happens, if I can just explain this flying hoverboard, Mm -hmm. imagine a skateboard with five gas canisters stuck to the bottom of it. There's a wire that goes up to a backpack that he wears. In the backpack, the backpack weighs 36 kilos. It's fueled by kerosene. He has a remote control in his right hand. That fires up the, the burners, if you like, on the underside of the hoverboard. And he basically just presses a button and shoots off up into the sky. <laughs> and it is the craziest, coolest thing I've ever seen, Chris, in 20-odd years of television reporting. The guy is just amazing. Right, OK. So, so we know he's amazing. We know he's done it before. He's done it in front of the whole nation and the whole world at the Bastille Day celebrations. Uh, President Macron uh, commented on how impressed he was uh, with uh, Frankie's efforts and his ingenuity. Um, so the, the launch time has been brought forward. Do you have a, a, an estimated or a more accurate time to give us now? 
Yeah, 25 minutes time is what they've been telling me, but it's France, Chris, and anything can happen. All right, uh, okay. <laughs> he, he's, he's been walking up and down the sand dunes. There's been some discussion about the helicopters. There's a couple of helicopters over Calais. They're not happy about that. There's a lot of ships in the channel, as you can imagine, busy shipping lane that it is. So he only gets for his rucksack of 36 kilos of kerosene. That is 10 minutes of flying time. He estimates, if anyone's listening in the St. Margaret's Bay area of Kent, that is where he's wanting to land in St. Margaret's Bay, anywhere in a field on the beach, anywhere on St. Margaret's Bay. He reckons that's going to take 20 minutes, but the rucksack only has 10 minutes of fuel. So he's going to land on a ship in the channel. Right. The key to it is finding that ship. One of his team will give him a second rucksack, yes. and in 60 seconds flat, he will literally bin one rucksack, put the other on, fire up the burners, and aim for Kent. So lots of logistics to sort out. Um, he's just in a field in front of me now, just kind of got his thoughts to himself. It's, it's honestly... The coolest thing I've ever seen, Chris. Just wait till you see this guy. Well, like, that's why I, that's why I came with this one. I said, we've got to get Enron, we've got to get Enron, because I saw your reporters <laughs> to say, I was thinking, no, this is, OK, OK, we have a new Prime Minister. OK, he might he may be <laughs> on the precipice of fixing the world or, or, or making it even more confusing. But look at this, look at this, this intrepid story of trailblazing here uh, from Calais. So, you know, I mean, we can, we can try and take control of our borders, but Frankie's got other ideas. I mean, that's the thing. Um, I'll tell you what, never mind the zip wire, Boris was on. This yeah. absolutely takes the biscuit. And it. Frankie, just lest anyone think that this is some kind of mad professor, um, I asked him if he was feeling lucky, and he told me that he went skiing in February and hit a tree and broke 20 bones in his body. So yeah. he's a complete adrenaline junkie. Um, he's had a pretty unlucky start to 2019, but Bastille Day was brilliant. He loved it. He's really well known now in France. They absolutely love him here. And he's aviation mad. And get this, Chris, he wanted to be a pilot he wanted to be a helicopter pilot when he was a kid, but they found out at the age of 14 that he was colourblind, right. and that ended his aviation ambitions. So Aww. he went away and he's invented this. Has he offered you a go? That's the most important thing. No, not yet, but we're, we're working. <laughs> I'm not sure Sky's uh, health and safety at work policy was... <laughs> <laughs> that might go out the window. <laughs> All right, well, let's hope it's the only thing that goes out the window. So I hope he's safe. I mean, that's the most important thing, because it is a load of fun, as long as it doesn't end in tears. And I really, I don't think it will, because I think, I mean, you know, what, what do you think? What do you think his chances are? Because you've been around him for the last 24 hours. Well, I asked him this exact question yesterday. He did a press conference in French. He speaks brilliant English. He came over and we had a chat, and I said, so are you going to do with what are your chances? And he said, 50%. Here's another helicopter. This is what he was worried about earlier on. All the helicopters wanting to follow him. Right. Um, another one just arriving. He reckons he has a 50% chance of pulling this off. Okay. Problem is, Chris, he's never flown more than a mile and a half. I know, and I know. 26 miles to England. I know, I know. And it's, it's finding that ship. That's the crucial. That's the biggest risk for him, isn't it? It's, it's the refueling situation. Yeah, precisely. So, you know, the channel is a huge amount of water. His ship is in the middle of it somewhere, and he's, he's, got, he's got 10 minutes, basically, from the moment he takes off to find that ship, refuel, and then go again. So finding the ship is absolutely crucial. So we have a real live uh, French Buzz Lightyear on, uh, in the air today attempting that uh, record crossing from Calais to somewhere in Kent, just somewhere in Kent that might or might not have a postcode. Vers l'infini <laughs> to infinity and hopefully Kent. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q, Virgin Radio. Where are we going next, Vassos? 
We are going to Northern Ireland to speak to someone whose career teed off at 22 and she spent 35 years transforming Royal Port Wash, Port Rush even into one of the world's greatest golf clubs, which has just done a grand job of hosting the world's greatest tournament, the 148th Open Championship. Let's welcome back to the show the manager of Royal Port Rush, the wonderful Wilma Erskine. Good morning, <laughs> Wilma. Hi, Wilma. Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations, Wilma. How was it for you? Well, I think it's more Shane Lowry. He did it, didn't we? We, we didn't get Rory to win it, but we got another Irishman. So there was a bit of a party, and Shane was heading <laughs> down to Dublin for a big party. So okay. it was a great atmosphere. I don't, I don't think Ireland does, uh, the island of Ireland uh, does a bit of a party, mm. Wilma. <laughs> Come on now, tell the well, truth there was, here. There was, well, I think, to be quite honest, so many of us were so incredibly tired that yeah. a couple of glasses of champagne and that was sort of a gosh and we're back to normal business today we're full-time sheet today with rna patrons and tomorrow's a big members day so we have to keep our feet very you on the are ground good. you are so good aren't you yeah. i mean you know you were instrumental in bringing uh, the open back to northern ireland for the first time in over half a century and it couldn't have gone any better and yet this morning you, you're back at you're back at the coalface going well you know we you're amazing, Wilma. Well, you've got to keep doing these things. It seemed all like a great idea at the time. Let's have an open championship. I think now, whenever I think about it, my life has been in hold for the last few years. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a bit surreal. We've had it. Now what do we do now? Tidy up, clean up and move on to the next one. Now, because you've been, you've, you've, you've proven yourself as such a successful open venue, of course, this year, uh, sorry, next year, uh, sees the open return to Royal St George's in Sandwich. And it was there uh, 10 years ago this year, 11 years ago next year. It returns to the St Andrews every five years. Surely yeah. there, there now must be talk of, the, of your golf course becoming a regular venue. Oh yeah, I mean, we we whenever we did the agreement, it was for a three-time open championship. I didn't know that. So, oh yeah, oh no, it takes a woman to sign up three times, <laughs> and uh, so obviously there'll be a big sort of power after this to look at financially media success, which I hope media feel it was a success. Yeah. And then uh, the RNA and ourselves will sit down and talk about the future. So I mean, there'll definitely be another one come back. There's no doubt about it. I think they saw Ireland. Despite our terrible, that was the only thing I couldn't organise. It was the weather. Yeah, but, but it was uh, good though. Was the weather was so dramatic. It was. It was. Oh, I, yeah. I, we didn't mind that. I mean, we weren't in it, so we didn't have to sort of uh, survive it. But uh, the the bounce effect that you, your openers had, because I understand that over half the tickets for next year's open now have already been sold because of wow. because of the heat around your tournament. Right. Well, that's fantastic if that is the case. But sometimes you hear rumours. But hopefully that is the case. No, uh, the case. no, I mean, I think there was just such a great... It was a, it was an event, uh, almost like a festival feel, and everybody just wanted, and they were all singing as Shane Lowry came up to the 18th. He was just completely, you know, in shell-shocked, I think, the poor fellow. And he, he, he played in our events way back, and he won the Irish Amateur, uh, which we call the North of Ireland, uh, way back in 2008. And then he's won the Irish Open, and here he is, he's won the Open... So he probably doesn't know what day of the week it is. <laughs> he said he said it was like an out of body experience, didn't he? And he said, yeah. I can't wait to wake up on Monday morning and see how this feels. Did you manage to have a chat with him yesterday? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I I would know him, and oh, he's he's still extremely grounded. He was just smiling. He just couldn't stop smiling, and he was just holding on to the claret jug. And he just I think he just didn't know where he was. <laughs> just before you go, um, my favourite stat of Shane's win is that he's the first bearded winner of the Open since 1882 
do you have any uh, prominent um, bearded members at Royal Port Rush, which could be could, could, could be extolling the virtues of such, um, you know, winning tomorrow the members' event? Yes, we don't really have an awful lot of bearded members. Uh, unfortunately, some of them are more. Shane's beard is quite sort of wild. Ours, any of our members have sort of more sort of Kemp. discreet, you know, sort of, <laughs> yeah, more tidy. <laughs> Shane, Shane, between his hair sort of ruffled and, and his beard, he looks sort of almost quite wild. He looks the swarthy, doesn't Irishman. he? He looks like a captain of some ship that's just run aground on the northern Irish coast. Thinking, Where did this scallywag come from, this rap scallywag? What's he trying to yeah, get in not, under the radar? Like, uh, he, he doesn't sort of come across as one of these super fit, you know, you know, like the cop curry or they, they just look like muscle walking and all you know terribly attractive yeah or your boy next door just let me get on with it yeah but he's got those wonderful Irish soft hands that can conjure all, up all that mag- magic on a golf course uh, Wilma thank you so much well done and yeah, we'll talk so. to you about Carfest very soon okay Absolutely. Thank Ta-da. you very much. She's on Bye. it, isn't she? She's, it's like nothing happened, isn't it? It's like she's just opened the shop, isn't it? Crack on, Wilma. Yeah, the bread's just arrived. Okay, get the newspaper set out and um, the first customer will be in in five minutes' time. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q. The best entertainment all in one place. Easy on Virgin Radio. We're going to talk about an unsolved murder and a three-decade fight for justice. This is a new Wireless Studios podcast series called Reporter Murder in the Graveyard. Based on the book of the same name, it follows the twists and turns of this epic unsolved crime. Here to tell us more are dynamic duo Don Hale and Lucy Ditchment. Good morning, guys. Good morning. morning. Welcome, welcome to the programme. Okay, so how do we start this chat off? Uh, You might as well, because you've done this before um, and, you know, we're we're pushed for time and I don't want to miss anything. Uh, So, so, have you really never done it before? Okay, together. Okay, so Lucy and Don, who wants to lead the charge on this one? Don, you you started the case. Well, it's it's a fantastic story. It's a real murder mystery, quintessential English murder mystery. Mm I've been working on it uh, really for, well, I spent eight years on the case and then it's never sort of dropped. There's always been a curiosity with this uh, ever since um, Stephen Down, who was uh, convicted of the original murder, I, w- I took up the case in 1994 and spent eight years and finally you know, got him out of, uh, out of prison, got the conviction quashed. And it's opened up a real can of worms as to who done it. And there's so many interesting facts and figures that were sort of buried within the police investigations years ago. And what I've tried to do now by writing this book is to revisit the case right from the start, a grassroots start of it, and really impact the whole thing, go through all the witness statements, all the new information, DNA, everything else. And working with Lucy has been quite interesting, really, because she's almost turned into sort of like a radio play, if you like. There's all sorts of voices and people from the original case, uh, people who who saw something or witnesses and whatever. Lucy probably talked more through the the actual nuts and bolts of the case, but it's been really interesting, and it's an eight-part series here, which has really taken off. Okay, so it's called Murder in the Graveyard. Uh, Episode 5 is out now. It's out there, but you can obviously catch up because it's a podcast, and it's a true story. Uh, So, Lucy, when did you get on board? I got on board about eight months ago. Right. Um, How come? How weirdly, because I'm from the same bit of Derbyshire. I've been in <laughs> London for like 30 years. Um, I've been in London for 30 years. Um, and uh, yeah, someone went, Oh, I've got this story. Hang on. I saw I heard you talking about Derbyshire and then got involved. And I've got absolutely fascinated because I really love crime fiction. But um, it isn't fiction. This is the no, whole point. Exactly. Isn't it? This is the real thing, it's you know, in thing. my old neck of the woods. And did you hear about it anyway from, from the past? No, I hadn't because I was two when it happened. Right. Um, but. 
I was really interested because um, I wanted to focus on the woman, Wendy Sewell, who was murdered, at the fo- focus of this. I mean, this, the, you know, Don's case involved uh, the investigator Stephen Downing for the conviction, but I really wanted to go back and look at the woman at the centre of it, who wasn't just a victim, because I think women often are, yeah. uh, and, and unravel some of the lies and images about her that were absolutely appalling and so that's all in here as well yes okay yes. okay and um and your from your point of view um don you, you were a newspaper editor at the time yes. and because you you started to get life threats uh you, you your office was attacked take us through that to, to why yeah. that happened who do you suspect may have been behind those attacks well i mean there's once i started to investigate the, the case for, for Stephen to claim that he was innocent really right. and to start look at the, the case um i had a lot of uh, threatening phone calls um I had two hit-and-run attempts, uh, the worst, most frightening things. I mean, I was very lucky to escape with one. I was just out running, and I thought, well, perhaps it's my own... You know, you get, you get into, into the zone, really. Yeah. I thought it was me. But a second one then almost hit me. Um, and you convinced these were intentional oh, yeah, yeah. assassination attempts? Well, there, there was another time, which is the most scary of, of all, which is in the book. And I, was, I went out on a, a shout. I, there was a big fire at a... Uh, supposedly a big fire at a farm in, in Ashbourne Way across the moors, it's desolate area at night, and I was chased by a heavy goods vehicle for about nine miles uh, on a very narrow lane, and it kept bumping into the back of the car right. and beeping its horn and glaring lights. And it was the most frightening experience I've ever had in my life, but we had firebomb attacks at the office, we had bins set alight, we had petrol uh, pushed through the, the letterbox, um, there were umpteen bomb scares. Um, it, it, Over what, what period of time? Um, over more or less the, the six to eight years before we got the uh, the appeal. So what, like every six months, or did? Um, I'd say every week we got a, a threatening phone call. Right. But even after Stephen was cleared, there still people came on to threaten me and to threaten the Downing family, and literally months after Stephen was cleared, Stephen's uh, mother was beaten up on a doorstep and told to keep her mouth shut. Okay, it's quite amazing. So it was when so it's, it's the story of the victim, uh, Wendy Sewell. Yes. It's the story of Stephen Downing, the the guy who was who was, who was convicted in, incorrectly, and yeah. then it, now it's become your part of the story now yourself, aren't you, Don? Yeah, it, it was it was amazing, really. It's almost been part of like a soap saga as it's going along. Um, you're almost writing the next script for the next week. How as, frightened? As how frightened were you? At, I was obviously was, terrified at times, but you cracked on. Yeah, I mean, it was easier to to keep going because I thought, well. You know, if if he's the man that's supposedly committed this this crime, this murder, why would people start to threaten and attack me? And I wanted to find out who was behind it. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. All right, okay. So uh, it's called Murder in the Graveyard. Reporter, Murder in the Graveyard. Uh, you can get it now from all your favourite podcast platforms. And the book uh, was released originally in two thousand and two. That's right. Yes. Uh, so you've rewritten bits of it or added to it, and it's out yes. again now. It's been completely rewritten. There's all the new evidence, all the information there, because I wanted to make the readers, the new jury, to look at that and to come up with their own <laughs> ideas. Sounds absolutely gripping. Uh, and what do you, what do you do? What do you do? From on a daily basis now that you've this is out and you've moved well, I've, on. I've worked on three other miscarriage cases, right? And uh, I write other books. I've just got um, a couple of other books coming out, uh, one in September and one next year. And it, it's, it's stories and things that have worked in over the years, but they come back to sort of haunt you really. Right. One is a sort of a pre-war uh, story with the uh, battle with the Germans to have the fastest train in the world, 
And the Germans have just bought the rights for that because it's a story they want to tell. Got it, okay. All right, once again, uh, Don Hale and Lucy Ditchmont. It's called Murder in the Graveyard. It's a podcast and it's a book, and they're both out now. Thank you, guys. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q, Virgin Radio. She kick-started her career on YouTube, gaining a quarter of a million subscribers in a vegetarian heartbeat. Her debut recipe book, Vegan Eats, is full of easy, affordable, recipes also pairing food with music like you would wine <laughs> on this meat free monday let's welcome grooving vegan genius rachel Ammer. morning rachel good morning okay what's not to like about rachel uh creamy mushrooms with pearl barley look at that rachel who doesn't want a bit of that oh, rachel. Oh, yes please rachel. okay and then we go to the next page a juna pasta look at that yes mm. please thank you very much yes please yes, yes all please. good yes, please. all right so where do you film your recipes for your 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 gang-busting YouTube channel. I'm filming them in my kitchen at home with my dog Marley watching me the whole time. So you have a tripod. I have a tripod. So you taught yourself to do all this. Tell us about the process. Yeah, so, I mean, I wanted to share vegan recipes. I believed in it. I wanted to show people that they could be delicious and I wanted to make delicious food. So I went on YouTube and I watched, how do I film? (laughs) What equipment do I need? Really? Is that what you said? Brilliant. What do I need? How do I film? How do I edit? What software do I need? Um, I set it all up in my kitchen. I saved up my money and started sharing all the recipes that I normally make. So you YouTubed how to become a YouTuber? I YouTubed how I to become a YouTuber. I love that. Right. <laughs> and how, how, I bet, do you enjoy the editing process and the filming? It's fun and I, I love it. I, I do like recipe videos and I also get my friends on and they're hilarious and we have so much fun. I get them trying food that maybe shouldn't be vegan, like trying vegan KFC and stuff like this. And then I get their reaction and it's just like comedic Vegan fun. KFC? Yes. Okay, off you go. Tell us a bit more about that. KFC launched a vegan burger, an imposter burger, I believe it's called, for a week only or a month only. What happened? Well, I have a YouTube video where we go and try it. <laughs> good, good. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Because uh, so, my, my kids are obsessed with YouTubers. They're watching them again all weekend. Dad, Dad, did you have to watch the golf? It's the Open. It's the final day. Shane Larry's going to win. Yeah, but, you know, he's leading my five shots. No, oh, come on. So uh, I ended up recording the golf and letting them watch YouTube uh, live. Oh, actually, my bit was live. There's, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the point is, when I'm watching the young YouTubers, especially those in America, and they're filming stuff, they seem to be so adept. Are they filming? in that on GoPros how do they do it they seem to just point and chew and it's always perfect I think they're using everything some people have the high tech cameras some people are using their iPhones some people have GoPros I think yeah. the key of YouTube is making quick snappy content Right. people want to just see movement full movement, of energy full of energy usually having a laugh hopefully laugh and then for me I get to share it with the vibrancy and the food and the colours and the, the food noises the sizzling yeah, the yeah, flavours yeah. and stuff like that and I think people love it you also play music I do. You have you have specific tunes for for specific moods and yeah. So I I grew up with music surrounding me. My life is a soundtrack. So when I wrote the book, when I cook, I listen to music. I two step. I dance. I take it easy. So when I wrote the book, I really wanted to put those musical influences in the book. The if you look in the book, you'll see like the record labels, the records that we have at home. We photograph them, yeah, yeah. put them in the book. I love it. Added songs. I have a playlist here. It's on Spotify, so you can groove, cook dance, two-step, and enjoy my food. Just because it's vegan, I didn't want it to be... I wanted the focus to be on flavours. Be delicious. I mix in... I've got African and Caribbean roots as well, so I wanted all those flavours in this book. 
So you got so you so you're overwhelmed. Your senses overwhelmed. Your ears, your eyes, Everything. your mouth, uh, your touch. Uh, because you hear have chive tofu spread with griddled garlic aubergines. And the song recommended for this one is yes. a tribe called Quest. Yes. Okay, but it should be a chive called Quest, shouldn't it? Really? I should have come to you, you for some more yeah, puns. No, yeah, I'm, 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 we're fantastic here. Uh, but because you've heard of desert island discs, of course. Yes. What about kitchen island discs? Ooh. What about that? Dessert uh, island discs. I like it. Dessert island discs. Why is that then? Well, then you'd like choose your pudding. Oh, desert island. Yeah. Des- oh, I see. So I, I'm putting on the kitchen island. You're p- putting on the desert and dessert. See, it's, it's, uh, we are totally, put. we are 360 fantastic here. Uh, right. right. Okay. Um, so let's try some this, shall we? Thank you very yes. much. What, what flavour is this cake? So this is a la- uh, l- lemon and almond cake. Mm. Mm. Great. I hope you enjoy it. Mm. Oh, it's very delicious. Oh, oh, very yeah. squidgy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really nice. Good. Oh, it's really, really, really nice. Mm. Yes. What would you have to drink with that? Cup of tea. Me personally. I'm British. <laughs> Gin and tonic for me. <laughs> he's just got back from Cornwall. His, his, his head is still in Cornwall. Yeah. Double gin and although tonic. He's, although his tummy is definitely very much on the 17th floor here. Okay, so if people want to subscribe to your YouTube channel, how do they do that? They find me, if you go on YouTube and you search Rachel Alma, I post recipes every single week. You can find me on Instagram. I share recipes too as well, Rachel Alma. And obviously my cookbook, Rachel Alma's Vegan Eats. Okay, I'm going to go on YouTube today and find out how to become a YouTuber. Mm. <laughs> Should we do it? Yeah. We have nothing to offer at the moment, do we? Not really. On the radio we do? Yeah. Mm. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I'd like to replay the favour one day. Don't know how we do that. Make, uh, make Rachel some cake. Do like a cook-off on my channel. Oh, should we do that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, deal. Done. <laughs> The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Q. The best entertainment all in one place. Easy on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.